record. All right, welcome back everybody to another episode of Be Free RE with Tony and Guy, and I'm John, your host. Today we're going to be running through, as you can see if you're on the YouTube, Tony's house, <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> with One, a non-Pittsburgh, yeah, that's not a Pittsburgh zip code, but such is life. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a follow-up to the last episode where we just talked about our first deal um, had some requests on YouTube and some people ask about just analyzing deals in general. So I wanted to pull one up, um, go through how to do the numbers on a rental property. Um, this one in particular is a house hack, but the way I'm analyzing it on here is just as a regular rental property. Um, I tell people all the time, even if it is a house hack, you should still analyze it just like a regular rental property because eventually that's going to be what it is anyway you know agreed right um so that's what we're going to do uh, if you are listening on to the podcast on the podcast you sh can keep listening of course we'll do our best i'm not a professional radio personality though so i may be referring to the things in front of me um which i've heard is a bad habit for radio uh for obvious reasons so you may want to pop onto the YouTube to watch this, but first hit that download button so we get more uh, follows, right? Got to keep on plugging. Subscribe, yes. That's what Tony means. Yeah, I think the downloads downloads happen. I listen to one podcast and he says, I don't care if you listen, just download. <laughs> All right, juice the numbers. Got it. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, I guess um, before we get started, John, do you have anything, anything else to add? No, I'll just try and be, uh, I'll close my eyes and listen. And whenever I'm confused for our, for our listener only audience, I'll try and highlight that. So I'll be Perfect. in the background as a blind man here. Perfect. So let's say, uh, you have a deal in this, in this example that I'm using, there's your real, these are real numbers. These are my first, first deal that I did as a house hack. Um, mm -hmm. just to put things in perspective, uh, the property was in, a neighborhood in Pittsburgh that is kind of like a what you'd call a B class or even B plus type neighborhood, um, upper middle class, uh, okay school district, pretty walkable, pretty mm -hmm. Pittsburgh type suburban. I, I say Pittsburgh suburban because a lot of times when people not from Pittsburgh think of suburbs, they think of um, like cul-de-sac communities and new builds and stuff in Pittsburgh. It's pretty much just another city like neighborhood that isn't technically in the city. So yeah, a lot of street parking, uh, yeah. tandem, you know, tandem spots, no garage, the public transportation, the T. So the light rail system still goes through this area um, in Pittsburgh. That system doesn't go to too many places, but it goes downtown and it comes out to the South Hills. So it's super convenient for renters that that exists. In addition, this house um, is in the same neighborhood that I that I grew up on, so or grew up in. So that's what it is. Same street I actually grew up on too. So it oh, wow. was uh, very. I knew the market. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so if we go back in time, uh, looking for a house with a realtor. Um, my mom's actually the one that located this one. I didn't have my license yet, so I was working with a realtor, but she she noticed that it was going into foreclosure and the property um, went up for sale at 
I think it was $145,000. So this was a while ago. However, the seller's market was kind of just starting then. So not like a super long time ago, but probably six years ago. And it was a multiple offer situation. And we paid $155, which if you're on YouTube, you'll see right here. So that was through a um, like kind of a bidding war, so to speak. Uh, it was open to owner-occupant purchasers only, but I'm going to go through now, I guess, the numbers on how we, how we were calculating things, but the numbers that I plugged in are the real numbers. So we bought it at 155. We use an owner-occupant loan. However, the owner-occupant loan um, was 10% down because it was with a, a bank directly. It wasn't like an FHA or anything. Um, so typically you would pay PMI, which is mortgage insurance, um, for any loan that's less than 20% down. However, in this case, we did not. So whenever you're analyzing a deal, you want to make sure that you have the financing terms, right? Different financing terms to think about are going to be your loan amount, which is obviously just your purchase price, you know, minus your down payment. Um, and then your loan term, typically if you're doing a house hack, that's going to be 30 years. But if you're doing something with like an LLC or something where you're getting a commercial loan, that could be 15, 20, 25, your interest rate, um, on a owner occupant type loan, that's going to be fixed normally for the, for the life of the loan. But if you are doing a different type of loan product, then in your analysis, you're going to need to include the fact that that might adjust. So don't forget that. Like if you're doing a commercial loan, the typical terms are going to be, you might have a 20-year amortization schedule, which that just means your loan will last 20 years and it's broken up into interest and principal payments over that time. But you're going to want to do it differently when you analyze uh, your loan payment in your deal because your mortgage rate, your interest rate is going to adjust every five years usually. Different loans have different terms, but that's the typical one with commercial. It's going to be a 20-year term, interest rates adjust every five years. So you're going to want to have some projections for that. Um, again, in this example, you can see it broken down here on YouTube. But if you're listening, it's just $155,000 purchase price. I put 10% down, so it leaves a loan amount of $139,500. Loan term was 30 years. It was an owner-occupant mortgage. And our interest rate at the time was 5.1%, which um, six, a little over six years ago sounded like a great interest rate. So just a reminder that interest rates right now are at like historic type lows. So <laughs> that's yeah, you'll the be advantage. In the yeah, that's the advantage that you have at this time. Whoops. Um, then I went and calculated out uh, experience expenses so the things that come out of your property when you break down expenses there's a lot of different things that can go into it this is where i think people get hung up on uh they're worried that they're going to be missing something um but to be honest it's not super complicated uh, i would recommend downloading a calculator like i'm using the bigger pockets one um that way it'll have all the inputs for you to be able to put things in um Property taxes. So usually on the listing, you'll have property taxes listed. However, when you're calculating this expense, you're going to want to ask your realtor 
or call the municipality to ask them how property taxes are calculated. For instance, in most suburbs of Pittsburgh, the property taxes are going to go up after purchase because the home's going to be reassessed almost guaranteed every time. And then you'll hire a lawyer to argue to reduce them. The lawyer will get them reduced a pretty set amount. And then that's just the game that you play. Every area, like people might be listening from different areas. Um, every area is slightly different in how they do these things. Uh, so you'll want to, like I said, connect with the municipality, connect with um, your realtor, ask them what your property taxes may go up to. So that's how you're going to come up with that property tax amount. On my deal, that was roughly $400 a month. Um, then insurance. Insurance is also one of those things that's going to vary totally based on where you are. The easiest way to get an insurance amount is just to talk to an insurance broker and ask them how much it will cost. Um, you'll want to ask for a ballpark up front, though, if you've never done a deal before, just because... Um, you know, they'll ask you a bunch of questions for an actual rate. Like they'll ask you the age of the roof. They'll ask you the age of the furnaces. They'll ask you a bunch of other questions. And then that's what they use to come up with your rate. Normally, I feel like I'm around $60 per $100,000 in house value on a lot of the smaller buildings. Um, it Because it also depends on what riders you put on. Uh, usually I tell people to add like mold coverage, sewer backup, water infiltration, um, sewer line insurance. So I always add a bunch of riders too. So again, insurance, you're going to want to get like a pretty good ballpark before you even plug a number in here. Um, ours is around a hundred dollars a month for this property. And then into the juicy stuff as juicy as math can be, I guess. Um, you have all the variable fees. This is where I think people get um, hung up on the most because this is where when you're a new person to investing, you really don't have anything to go off of um, as far as history. So what I always tell people is that your repair, a good rule of thumb is that your repairs and maintenance and capital expenditures in Pittsburgh should not go under $200 a month. So no matter what percentage you use, you should be saving at least $200 per month. The reason I come up with $200 is because if- When you say saving, you mean budgeting, right? We're still on expenses. These are true. expenses. Budgeting. Yes. Budgeting from the rents. You should be putting aside $200 every month into a account of some sort to take care of the repairs and the big things that come up at least $200, at least 200. Yes. I normally do 7% um, or 5% depends on the rents coming in. Um, so 7%, 5% of five to 7% of income. So of rents in the building. Total rent. Okay. I will do that for each repairs and maintenance and capital expenditures. So on this deal example, I have 7% being withheld from rents for repairs and maintenance and 7% being withheld for capital expenditures. I use the upper end of what I would do because this was a foreclosure. We had never done a deal before. I just, you yeah. know, there was going to be a lot of repairs and everything. So that's the kind of rules of thumb type thing. What I did after the first deal was I did this. Um, I put together a calculator here of just everything in a property 
um, mm -hmm. that's typical to break, how much it how much it costs to replace um, total replacement cost, lifespan, how long it lasts, and then I have how much that should cost you then in in repair budget per year. So if you take a total replacement cost divided by the lifespan, um, it'll tell you how much to save cost per month as well here. And then on my handy spreadsheet, which is what would be useful if you're on YouTube, if anybody wants this, I'll share it, I suppose. Um, but like, for instance, a roof, there's only one roof. So I would say soffit fascia, you might not even need to replace this, but if it's really bad or something, you'll put one. Well, for the listener, so Tony is saying, I have a roof. It costs $5,000 to replace. It's going to last 25 years. And then I just divide it up, right? So 5000 yep. divided by 25 gets him to $200 a year. So $200 a year, he needs to budget for a roof. And then he breaks that out in a monthly figure, just divides it by 12. And now he's essentially doing that for all of the capital expenses on the property. So he has soffit fascia, water heater, refrigerator. Yep. And then this he adds is, the number of these items that are on the house and he gets a monthly holdback for the entire property. So instead of just using a percentage of total rent, he's using kind of a bottom up analysis to arrive at uh, what he thinks he needs for capital holdbacks. And when you're new, this is a really useful tool because yeah. feel, feeling out your percentages is going to be really hard for you. Mm -hmm. This is also where it's very important to know how long I tell people all the time, like, when you're buying a property, you need to think about how long you're actually going to own the property. Because if you're going to own the property forever, like say you live 50 more years since you buy it, you're going to have to replace your roof twice. So you're going to do, you know, how many times you need to replace things. You'll need to adjust your, your numbers based on that. It gets a little bit trickier to do it with this, with this spreadsheet if you get out to yeah, I wouldn't. 25 years. <laughs> But that's how I base that $200. So you can keep, you could keep plugging stuff in if you wanted, you know, and then it'll spit out a monthly amount at the bottom mm -hmm. of how much it would cost to replace everything. Um, and those numbers for total replacement costs in your area, you can, if you're just starting out, you can look on like um, Home Advisor has replacement costs in your area. So you yeah. can use, you can use that until you get a little bit more. Um, experienced with replacements and repairs and stuff yeah agreed Good. so at first i would i would recommend breaking out your capex and repair and maintenance into one spreadsheet like i said with how much it costs to actually replace things the only thing you're not capturing in that instance is like general plumbing repairs and stuff but if you're budgeting to replace everything in the house those small repairs are really gonna hmm. it's all gonna kind of even out a little bit um you know i at least in my experience um usually this capex calculator overshoots how much you need to save i find yeah. but yeah. it's good to be conservative and to just know that mm -hmm. um the other thing so any questions do you think john on repairs or capex no i, I in my experience there tends to be two types of people right there's people that kind of really overanalyze and have trouble getting into a deal, which is probably who this episode is for. Right. <laughs> and for them, I think the spreadsheet is really helpful. Uh, kind of like it builds an understanding, especially on your first deals. So the spreadsheet is really nice. And then there's some people that are just like, they're going to dive in. They want to go fast. And for them, I think the percentages are just fine. Right. 
and uh you know ideally you do both but you know uh, yeah so cool. don't feel like you have to do the capex calculator right no no ahead. it's really just a useful tool if you're really struggling the right. other thing with the capex calculator to keep in mind too is like if something's in really good shape you don't need to really budget for it like mm -hmm. say they just did the driveway you wouldn't then need to fill out a driveway capex budget unless you planned on holding the property for a really long time right yeah what's a driveway cost you that's one of those that's like way too yeah how long how wide yeah. what's the climate the thousands yeah. of different um all right so onwards then the other thing you'll want to uh calculate for is vacancy rate mm -hmm. so this is kind of market dependent even down to neighborhoods however i tell people all the time if you want to be safe um eight percent isn't a bad number to use because that's about one month every year it's definitely overshooting it though so mm -hmm. i don't really use eight percent i normally use five um and i guess we could talk about what vacancy rate is vacancy rate is basically just your lost rent so it's kind of like an opportunity cost in a way it's like time that the apartment could be rented you're losing money because you're leaving it vacant on the market so it's your expense of lost income basically mm -hmm. the other thing that it this number doesn't break down but the reason i guess another reason why it's important to think about is that you'll be paying all of the utilities and all of the bills in that time it's hard to i'm sure you could work up a spreadsheet to fill that in but that's one of those that you normally just miss um, if you really want to be particular about running numbers you should probably just add like a two percent of rents miscellaneous item because there's always stupid stuff that comes out that's hard to account for if you yeah. want to if you want to actually know your your numbers that's useful but if you're going that far you probably don't want to hold yourself to the same standards of income and everything that you see on the internet, like people talking about just because everybody's just analyzing it the pretty simple way. They're not factoring in like every small municipal letter and everything that you have to deal with. Um, but basically yeah. vacancy rates just lost rent more or less. Yeah, Sorry. usually people have a contingency budget, right? So you don't you don't try and get down to the Nats ass on every single thing like Tony's saying you say. And we're gonna add five percent contingency contingency budget for the deal, right? That way things don't go perfectly, something goofs up and you have some money. You can do that. I personally I normally just um by making sure that my other numbers are like slightly above what they what their actuals are, it all kind of evens that out in sense. the end that makes sense um management fees i guess just to summarize we did repairs and mate your your expenses so far that we've covered are property tax insurance repairs and maintenance capex which is capital expenditures and vacancy so those are your expenses so far that you're going to calculate then we have management fees so those that's a rate um, from your rents, but then the other thing you don't want to fact you don't want to forget is the um, like leasing fees, renewals, 
we've talked about management in prior episodes, I believe. So you can mm-hmm. go back and reference our, I think we did an episode on how to choose a good property manager or something. And part of that is the interview process to collect their, their fees, or it was how your property manager gets paid, I believe was the episode. Um, so you could go back and listen to that. But long story short, just for the episode, just for the purposes of this episode, you'll want to get a rate from a property manager. When self-managing, I just use 5%. Um, you could use the full amounts if you really wanted to, but I don't ever plan on not self-managing. I mean, we we have employees now that do it, but with employees, our management cost is, I think it runs around 3% of the portfolio with all the expenses associated with just the employees. Why do you um, put, um, why do you put 5% for self-management? Just to kind of factor in my own time. Oh, okay. You yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. And just because it's a little bit of buffer considering that yeah. if you weren't going to hire employees and everything in five to 10 years or something, you never know what changes. So yes, that makes sense to me. So yeah. Maybe so one you, day you do want property management. And then that's going to cost you like 10 or 11 or whatever. Um, you'd have to adjust your numbers from there. But if you're, getting a deal with decent amount of potential, then the increased property management percentage probably isn't going to sink you. It would just be a lifestyle choice at that point in time. Um, so that that's the extent of the kind of variable and sort of fixed type expenses. You have mortgage, property taxes, insurance. Um, that's what people would call your pity payment, P-I-T-I. Then you have all your expenses associated with um, just running a rental property, repairs and maintenance, vacancy, CapEx, and management fees. And then the the last thing to not forget are all the utilities and such that come up. So this is going to be dependent on the property. Um, If you have like a single family house, for instance, in my market and in most markets, it's pretty common to have the tenant pay all of the utilities. So they're going to pay for their electric, gas, water and sewer, garbage, anything that is uh, associated with the house. However, if you have multifamily, it's normally going to be dependent on what's submetered. So you're going to look at like you know, if there's separate electric, that means you're going to have the tenants pay for it. If there's separate gas, that means they're going to pay for the gas. If they're, you know, if there's only one meter for the whole house and there's four apartments in the house, then you're paying it. And then you're usually going to increase their rent a little bit because it's considered um, utilities included. So on this particular duplex, um, gas and electric were separate. Uh, water and sewer were actually separate, but we paid the water and sewer just because it was pretty. Co- it's pretty common for landlords to pay water and sewer, so we just stuck with what the market was. I probably don't need to. I could probably switch it up, but my tenants in this property are good tenants, and I don't really want to lose them over switching up water and sewer. Um, And a lot of the other charges are things that you're going to want to talk to call the local area before you buy the deal, because different areas will have things like uh, 
they'll have things like landlord registration fees every year, or they'll have different utilities. So some places your taxes cover trash, some places you have to cover trash separately, some places you'll have like other fees, like this particular property has a stormwater fee, which is actually um, just $20 per month. And then I guess I double counted trash. Um, we pay trash separate from taxes. So just make sure that you're calculating all the different utilities here. Um, and you can see mine broken down. And I think that's the extent of the uh, expenses. Anything so to too. add, John? No. I mean, just to go top to bottom again, we basically have like the PITI taxes. And then we had sort of percentage of gross rent taxes. And then we had like the usage rate utility taxes and HOA. Right. So, so we've done income, right? We've done expenses. We've well, we've done, we've done mortgage and, and expenses. Oh, yeah. Income, I saved the easiest one for last. Well, pseudo easy. Um, incomes, your rents. So this property had two, two places. I was house hacking, but like I said, I, I count myself and the income because that's how you would analyze any other property. I, my point was always to move away from the property. So I'm factoring that into buying it. Um, today, I just use Rentometer. So I plug in uh, the area and it gives me that this place is three bedrooms. So it tells me rents at the time, the median rent was, was lower. It was 1095 per apartment. Um, so that's what we charged. And then there were also garages in the back at the time I was charging $50 for those, um, total gross monthly income of 2240. I actually did a YouTube video. If you go to the channel, there's a YouTube video on how to estimate monthly rent, um, both through Rentometer and then also through, um, just using like sites that list rentals and you can make your own market rent. So income's pretty easy. Uh, go watch the YouTube video to teach yourself or just purchase Rentometer. Um, at this point, I've said Rentometer so many times they should start paying me, but uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, so then what you're going to do, you're going to enter all these, all these different expenses in here. You get an expense breakdown um that shows everything this is the bigger pockets calculator but pretty much every calculator has it so after we took everything out all of the expenses that came to 204 dollars per month in cash flow this is important to keep in mind because the way that i'm teaching you how to run expenses is very thorough like there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of my percentages are higher than i've seen other people use however if you're doing things my way this number should probably be a little bit undershooting it so if you compare if you do expenses and you kind of copy this method and you do your numbers the same way and then you see people online talking about i make six hundred dollars a month in cash flow or eight hundred dollars a month in cash flow or whatever the number is if it seems really great for your market they're probably leaving something out that you're accounting for. So just keep in mind that when you look at a cash flow number, you need to kind of compare it to yourself, not so much to other people, because I've run into people who they consider cash flow just income minus the mortgage payment, which 
to me isn't cash flow, but some people do it that way. Some people don't factor in repairs because they renovate the whole house up front, even though you, in my opinion, you should still factor in repairs because even if you do all the renovations, stuff's still going to break eventually. Um, so just keep in mind that, you know, if you do expenses my way, your number might look, look a little bit lower. So don't compare it to somebody's stuff on the internet that says they make triple what you do. Because if you took their same house and you ran the numbers on it, they probably don't make triple in the same sort of neighborhood. Yeah. I think around this time, it's a good time to kind of smell check your numbers too. And just say like, does this make sense? You know? So like $200 a month in cash flow for two doors. Yeah. That's like on the low end of making sense. Right. So you probably have some valid assumptions. If, if I saw 800 a month here, I'd probably think, uh Oh, I didn't put something in. Right. <laughs> yeah. Either that or it's in a really rough area. Yes. Um, you also need to think about the, the potential of the property too, which I'll show you where the numbers are now um, that we're pulling money out of it. We're doing a refinance. So I'll show you what those numbers are and just something to think forward about. It's, it's not all just day one cash flow. Right. So as a bonus part of this, you, on most calculators, you'll get all your returns. Um, important to factor in as you grow. Most of our listeners are probably newer. I get questions all the time about what's a good cap rate. If you're looking at two to four uh, unit buildings, just throw that question out of your head because that's not how they're valued. Cap rate is a way to value commercial buildings. Two to four unit buildings are valued on comps. So it's almost a flawed question. Um, it's not totally flawed because you could use it to compare different properties, but I feel like there's better ways to compare properties than a cap rate because cap rates also not factoring in uh, financing payments. You're just factoring in like if you bought it cash, basically what's the, you yeah, know, I think what's the, the return cash on cash ROI is like for us, it's the golden metric, which is on the screen here with bigger pockets. Yep. So they give that um, an 11% plus deal in, right now would be awesome. pretty good <laughs> um hard to hard to find so you also need to adjust your expectations for the market that you're into um and then just as an example of i guess my cash flow analysis being pretty conservative the 50 percent rule which is what a lot of people use as like a screening mechanism says that i should be cash flowing 362 dollars Per, per month um you know that's why i say mine's probably a little bit undershooting the income but personally i'd rather undershoot it than overshoot it uh <laughs> yeah so we're, we're basically the 50 percent rule is you take your uh total gross income you know you divide it by two and then you subtract your p and i and that gets tony to 362 on this deal and then uh that's that's kind of like a very simple heuristic and then the bottom-up analysis Tony did, I think, got us to 204, right? So that's another way to smell check if your bottom-up uh, expense management uh, seems to be, like, in the right ballpark, right? So we're off by, like, 150. So sounds about reasonable, right? And Tony's saying he's a little more conservative. His number's smaller than this 50% rule. So, right. Yeah, all and that sounds good, right? That all sounds very encouraging to me as, like, an outside party. Yeah, and on the... Um... 
bigger pockets calculator which we're using it does give you a projection of the long term you can plug in like an appreciation rate and stuff um i don't look at this too closely uh because i just i plan on holding buildings forever but what's funny is that based on the appreciation rate that i plugged in it says it wouldn't be worth 281 until year 30 but it's probably worth 280 today which is uh Maybe a good or bad thing. I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was actually going to bring this up too because we do the same thing, right? We don't really think about appreciation, but especially in the neighborhood that Tony's in, they've done really well. Uh, but in general, the market has appreciated. So this is about six years ago. So on Tony's deal, his year five property value would be one seventy one, and yeah, I mean, you're probably at two fifty right on this i guess you're appraising so you know exactly what it is basically it'll probably come in around 280 yeah. actually but... so i mean uh, in terms of his return it's it's not going to be that 11 percent cash on cash return we saw above it's going to be significantly higher now he can't you know he doesn't get that money right away but it's um i don't know right. what can i say the appreciation can really like set the deal in this other way. So I think you want to buy for cash flow, and then the appreciation is like what makes real estate so cool. That's what you learn after you uh after, after you, do, you do some deals. <laughs> yeah. You realize yeah. that like you get into it for cash flow, but the real reason for doing this has nothing to do with cash flow. <laughs> Cause it's like it, it, not nothing to do, but cash flow is like third or fourth on the list because. The yeah, real cash flow wealth. is like what brings you to the table, yeah. makes you fed, and then the appreciation is what makes you fat. <laughs> yeah, the 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 wealth generation all comes from appreciation and debt pay down because like yeah. you're making cash flow, but what most people don't factor in when they're thinking about a deal analysis, even like the one that we did, is that your tenants are paying your mortgage. So the principal payment that your tenants are contributing, if you really wanted to do a total analysis on your property, you would factor that into your numbers because you're basically making whatever the principal payment for the year is that's wealth being added to your bottom line so that's something that i feel like everybody misses when they're thinking about real estate they're thinking you know at first at least they're thinking about cash flow cash on cash return year one blah 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 when really Mm -hmm. you there's so many other benefits that you miss by doing that so just to finish up this uh, conversation. I pulled up what the numbers are now, um, just as kind of an example of uh, that time elapsing power, just time going by, values going up, rents going up, everything. Um, So we're going to- for context for listener, this is six years later and you're actually refinancing this property, right? Yeah. So what, what you're showing on YouTube here is essentially the how the deal did go five years later. This is what six years later, this is what the numbers actually were, right? Yep. So we're going to be able to pull out all of the, all of the cash um, on the property. So we're going to refinance, even if it comes in at 280, I'm going to refinance at around, uh, probably around 250, I think. Um, just I was doing the cash flow calculations and I just feel more comfortable at 250. Uh, that gives mm-hmm. me around $200 a month per unit in cash flow, which, which I like as a nice buffer. So $400 total. And we will get out. Um, 
it's actually an 80% down product. And so we're going to be able to pull out around $70,000 in, in cash. We'll get out of it. I mean, it goes towards the loan, but that'll be liquid. Our new interest rate is going to be 4.25. So we lower the interest rate. And if you think about this, I'm going to get $70,000 out. And this is where compound interest comes in. If you're thinking more FI, like financial independence oriented, or I'm going to take that $70,000 out and I'm just going to put it into a retirement account. And then because I did some stuff with uh, like self-employed 401k type thing, you can contribute more money than you can in a regular 401k. So I'm going to contribute the max into a retirement account that I, I'm, I can for the year. And then the rest of it, I'm just going to put it in a brokerage account. And that money is going to grow as well at, mm-hmm. well, as long as the rest of my life is not totally deviating from history, it should return around 8% a year. So I'm basically making like 4% more than I would having that money, you know, stuck in, the in house. the house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can see the numbers. I ran them basically the same way. Rents went up from 1095. I could probably get even more than I get now in both these units. Um, yeah. So we right. started at 1095. He's saying they're around 1300. 1300. Yep. And then we upped the garage rent to 100. So our income went up from 2240 per month to 2655 per month. Um, so our income went up. Uh, I didn't change any of the expenses, really. The other nice thing about refinancing is that it normally doesn't trigger a, a reassessment for taxes yeah. in in Pittsburgh, at least. Um, so my taxes won't go up. And uh, yeah, so now we'll actually be making more cash flow than we bought it at. We'll be taking out $70,000. Our interest rate will go down. Everything's kind of been, it worked out pretty nice on this. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if you can get one of these, you, you would, you would go for it. Right. I mean, yeah. And to be honest, like I, I use this as an example for a lot of newer people because I feel like, um, if somebody saw like $200 per month, um, or something, a lot some newer people would like scoff at that because they read that they should get two hundred dollars per unit per month. So they think that they should get four hundred off the bat. But it's one of those things where it's like, what is it? Don't buy don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. It's like <laughs> as long as you buy an okay deal in the long term, you're really still gonna get ahead. So yeah, it's uh yeah. I I agree. So, I mean, you know, I guess the one number we sort of didn't do is like, what, what is the actual cash on cash ROI just for this specific five-year stretch, right? So, I mean, kind of like then, yeah, to, to try and do some very like basic math, just because I think it, it's kind of obvious to you and I, but so you put 10,000 in, right? What was your down payment? 15,000, something like that? 10% yeah, of 155. Yeah, so you put 15 in. And let's say you probably put another 15 or 30 in doing repairs, something like that. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. So let's say we're at 45 on the high end. And then you're you're generating between 200 and 350 a month off that. Um, and then six years later, you're taking $70,000 out of the property. 
you'll continue to make a projected $400 a month in cash flow, right? So, uh, you know, as a business, you invested 45, you waited six years, then you had 70 and you've been making money every month in the meantime. So this is uh, very, very appealing. <laughs> yeah. A, and the reason, the reason why you said like, well, what's the cash on cash return? And I said infinite is because literally all of my upfront expenses are gone from the refinance. So yeah. I've taken out all of my cash that I put into it. That's the burr strategy that people talk about. Basically, I just did it as a super delayed burr. I didn't I didn't try to get it out in a year. I, I, I mean, we waited. I didn't even know if I would actually do a refinance, but then I looked at how much money we could get out of our personal properties. And I was just like, okay, it's stupid for me to yeah, keep, keep this going whenever interest rates are so low. So yeah, I guess in summary for how to calculate these, come up with your rental income, usually from some combination of rent-a-meter or your own stuff. Take your expenses out. That's your pity payment. So all your, your loan stuff minus your CapEx repairs, vacancy, um, insurance, property management, and utilities. And then that'll give you a cash flow number. And then using your cash flow number, you can come up with any other return figure that you choose to use. Awesome. All right. I um, guess. Uh, yeah, I, I think for me, the only... Uh, thing we didn't talk about is you are moving into this deal right away. So all of this analysis is really just focused on how will the property perform? I think if, if you're not planning to live in the property, uh, sometimes on your first deal, you need to do some cash management. So it's, you know, how long will this be vacant while I fix it up? You know, some of those considerations. So there's sort of a performance period, which is what we discussed today. And then there's hopefully like a three to four month period of, Hey, this thing's not making any money. How much cash do I need? just to get this to a point where it's performing. And, uh, you know, for Tony, he said, I'm going to move into this thing with my, I don't know, wife or girlfriend at the time. And, and uh, it will always be performing to some degree. It was essentially the implied assumption. More or less. Um, that's the thing we didn't go through. We didn't go through like a renovation budget at the beginning to come up right. with a more true cash on cash return on investment. But that's a whole separate conversation that maybe one day we'll have an episode on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this is great. And I, my only other advice is everyone, you should go look for one of these and uh, <laughs> go for it. All right. See ya. Tony, thanks for sharing. Yep.